Brendan, we're living through the apocalypse. We kind of are, aren't we? What is going on? What is up with our world? There is a lot of crazy stuff. 2020 is bringing some heat. And actually, literally and physically, like <laughs> the West is on fire. Not just the West. I was actually just reading about zombie fires in the Arctic tundra. What's a zombie fire? It's like a fire that's burning below the surface of the earth, but you can't put it out. Like, right. There are fires. There it's able, a zombie fire. It's like it's a dead fire, but not really. It's continuing to burn. Wow. It's methane and permafrost and all sorts of that sounds stuff. awful well yep. this is quite the run with a pandemic and the political situation it seems like there's something new every day yeah i mean murder hornets were mentioned at one point like we haven't seen those dancing hurricanes yeah derecho who knows everything i don't even know what's happening but it seems like if we're living through what most people would assume is the apocalypse, we should go into some apocalyptic literature for the journey That's series right. this fall. So we are doing the journey through Daniel. Buckle up. Heck yeah. Hey, Brendan, we just wanted to do a quick introduction to the book of Daniel. Before the first day of reading, let's find out a little bit about the book that we're going to be reading. First off, why Daniel? Why is Daniel the book, the one that we should do for this time? I mean, there are a lot of reasons why I think Daniel's great. First off, we did Mark last. And what I love about Daniel is it actually provides a lot of great background for Mark. There's a lot of themes in the book of Mark that come from the book of Daniel. And so actually having read Mark, jumping into this book, we're going to see how actually this helps us understand the story of Jesus some. But not only that, I think there are a lot of really important themes in the book of Daniel that are so relevant for us in our world today. You talk about an apocalypse, this idea that we are living in something that feels a little bit like an apocalypse. Well, the book of Daniel, it's considered an apocalyptic book. It's a book that... Wait, uh, wait, wait. What does that word mean? What, <laughs> what is, is the uh, word? apocalypse, most people have some sort of an association with what that word means. What does that mean? The word apocalypse simply means an unveiling. It's a revelation. And there's big definitions. But even revelation, read. like we have an association with that. Well, the book of Revelation, it's a book that's associated with the end times. We could do a journey through Revelation next if we really wanted to. It'd be fun. But the word revelation, that's just the word apocalypse. If you want to translate it a different way, it's the apocalypse of John. And so that's kind of what this is. It's a revelation. And the word revelation, if you think about what that means, it's a revealing, it's an unveiling, it's a vision of a different perspective on the world. And that's really what we get in Daniel. We get alternative perspectives of the world through God's eyes. So there's no like real scary or dangerous thing about those words in then of themselves. You know, something revealed or an apocalypse as that word's definition is to be revealed that shouldn't be scary to us. In and of themselves, they shouldn't be. So this word apocalypse, if you look at other places, the Greek word apocalypse is used. For instance, in the New Testament, Paul, he experiences an apocalypse when he's on the Damascus Road. And that's scary in the sense that it well, him. be scared. He, well, yeah, I mean, every, and everybody kind of ran away terrified. Yeah. But it wasn't like the world was ending. It was an apocalypse of the true nature of things. He was working against Jesus and Jesus was revealing to him that he was someone that he should be working for, not against. And that's what apocalypse is essentially are. They're unveilings. They're revelations of alternative perspectives on reality. They help us see the true nature of things, things through God's eyes. Now, they can be really scary. In the book of Daniel, <laughs> the apocalypses are scary, but that's because they're revealing an alternative side to things that the world needed to see. That The way empires sometimes conducted themselves, the way kings sometimes conducted themselves weren't always good. And 
God saw that. And so he wanted to reveal that the destiny of empires and kings weren't always going to turn out well. It's like growing pains. Anytime you're growing or like seeing something new, it's going to be somewhat painful in the in-between time. So this does feel like somewhat appropriate, not only for our culture right now with everything that's happening. There's a pandemic. There's racial injustice that's been brought to the forefront of Mm. our attention. There is an election this fall that is the most divisive election maybe in history. You know, I haven't been alive for hundreds of years. Definitely in our lifetime. This is something that we'll be reading about in history books in 15, 20 years, telling our kids and grandkids about, yeah, I was alive during this. It was a different time, but it's a time when we grew as a society. But also for our church, we're kind of in the in-between. We're going to be changing a lot going forward, even like churches across the nation. The pandemic has changed the way that people go to church. Yes. And it's not going to change back immediately. It's going to change the way that people experience church and in community going forward. So this does feel like a fun little apocalypse for us. Well, and there's an apocalypse, at least in the sense that I think God might be trying to teach us something new. God might be trying to open our eyes to different perspectives on things. And so the question is, are we attuned to it? Are we going to be like Daniel, as we read the book of Daniel? Daniel someone who's connected with God, who has wisdom from God. Are we going to have that kind of wisdom, those opened eyes that can see how things really are, or are we going to be blind and hardened? All right, so let's get into this actual book. When's this book from? What's the context for this book even being written? Well, I mean, there are two contexts we can talk about. There's the historical setting of the book. The book of Daniel is set in the late 7th century to the whatever, mid (laughs) mid to late 6th century BC in Babylon. So 605 to like 537 BC, something like that. This is like pre-Rome. This is pre-Rome. It's pre-Greece. It's pre-Persia. It is... This is the OG empires back then. Well, we can go back further, which would be a lot of fun. You would be very excited (laughs) about that, wouldn't you? I would be. But this is in the context of the Neo-Babylonian Empire and then the fall of the Neo-Babylonian Empire. I say Neo-Babylonian, meaning it's a newer version of... Right, right. That's what I was going to say, exactly. too. Yeah, yeah, the Neo version of it. Yeah. Yeah. So there were different Babylonian empires. Anyway, it was in the context of that empire, which was founded by a guy named Nabopolassar, but it took off with Nebuchadnezzar, who we read about in these stories. And then the beginning of the Persian Empire, which was led by Cyrus the Great. And that's a figure we read about a little bit in the book of Daniel as well. Lots of history books follow him, too. There's a lot written about Cyrus the Great. Yeah. In history and in the Bible. He's mentioned in a number of other books. He's actually called, interestingly, a messiah in Isaiah 45. Is that what it is? So You're the guy that knows that. Um, yeah. yeah, he's been anointed by God. And I think that he actually maybe plays a role as a messiah type of figure in Daniel chapter 9. But we can, or chapter 8, one of the two. Daniel maybe both. <laughs> and, uh, I guess we'll find out. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that maybe a little bit more later. But anyway, it's set in the context of those empires. Now, when it was written, that's really hotly debated. You know, we could spend a lot of time dissecting the argument. So basically they're... I'm not really interested. I'm not going to lie. Really? Because like, if it's hotly debated, I am underqualified to even speak into it. I'm not going to say what I think because people are going to be like, well, that guy, the guy, (laughs) like, what does he know about biblical dating? I mean, I did have to answer questions like this on my comps and... Well, then maybe you should answer it. This is stuff that you've answered before. So you just do it. Instead of trying to pinpoint here's when it... Because again, if it's a major debate, maybe we should have our eyes open, right? And be willing to hear the different sides. And what I don't want listeners, readers, whatever to miss is the context of the writing. Because whatever date you land on, the context is the same. So the traditional historic understanding is that this was written by Daniel in the 6th century BC when he's living in Babylon, or obviously after some of these events unfold. There are a lot of reasons for that. 
One of the reasons, honestly, is because the visions that we read in the second half of the book, they use first-person type language. I, Daniel, received this vision. So it sounds like it's the pen of Daniel. So you read it on a surface level like that. It seems like Daniel's the author in the sixth century. The other dominant view, and this is really kind of the dominant critical view of the last couple hundred years, is that this was written around 164 BC. And these arguments are really complex. They look at a lot of things like what language is being used, what vocabulary is being used, historical facts, looks at style, all sorts of things. And what does it talk about? And a lot of the book of Daniel actually sort of seems to culminate on events that occur in 167 to 164 BC with what's going on in Judea. Now, these things aren't mentioned specifically, but the way Daniel's in the apocalyptic visions and dreams that he receives in the latter half of the book, the way they talk, they seem to be describing a situation that's happening in these years when a tyrant king, very much like Nebuchadnezzar, was coming into Judea and was oppressing faithful Jews. He was murdering them, and not only that, desecrating the temple. You've heard this phrase, an abomination of desolation. Well, he sets up... A, Have we heard that? Well, we read it in the book of Mark. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Wait, so Jesus actually picks up that language also in Mark 13. But in the book of Daniel, this figure who's described as a little horn, he sets up an abomination of desolation, which is probably a pagan foreign symbol of like Zeus, a way that Zeus was worshipped. Swine were slaughtered in the temple. So he did all these really terrible things and murdered, killed Jews for being faithful to God in the midst of everything he was doing where he tried to Hellenize life in the land of Judea. All that to say, there are a couple different contexts that people understand for when the book of Daniel might have been written. And we could spend a lot of time dissecting the arguments. What we can't miss is that the context of the historical situation of the original readers of Daniel was that of oppression. These were people who were hurting, who were suffering under the hands of foreign tyrant kings. And that's so important for understanding what the whole book of Daniel is all about. Well, yeah, that's the interesting thing about Daniel is it's about the people of God before Christ showed up, before Jesus showed up on the scene. That's an interesting window into the picture of the people of God, how people viewed themselves Mm -hmm. as the people of God and their experience when foreign dictators or foreign empires would come and take them over. But I'm curious, why is the book of Daniel written in the way that it is? Because the first half is great. It seems like a whole lot of good stories, really good narrative. This is stuff we teach in Sunday school to kids using the good old flannel graph. And then the second half takes quite a turn. What's going on with the structure of this book? So there are a couple really cool things going on with the structure. First off, the book can be divided in a couple of different ways. It can be divided according to genre. So the first half of the book is written in narratives. These familiar stories we've all heard. If you've ever been to Sunday school or anything like that, you've heard of Daniel and the Lions, and you've heard of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We have these kinds of stories in the first six chapters of Daniel. In the last six chapters of Daniel, you have these apocalyptic dreams and visions, kind of like we talked a little bit earlier about what apocalypses are. These seem to be very different types of literature, but they actually overlap in a lot of really important ways. The things we read about in the first six chapters really, to me, seem to be illustrations in some ways. They are living examples of what the last six chapters talk about, which is the rise and fall of kingdoms, about how God might give power to some people, but he might also take it away. And for those who choose to be humble, loyal, and faithful to God, he's going to raise them up. So those apocalyptic visions, they just talk about what we read about in those narratives in a different way. In fact, they reveal kind of what's going on in those stories. So that's one way to look at the structure. 
structure. Another important way to look at the structure, though, is according to language. It divides evenly in half according to genre. With language, the first chapter is written in Hebrew, chapters 2 through 7 are written in Aramaic, and then chapters 8 through 12 are written in Hebrew again. So we have these different divisions, and they don't line up exactly with what we see according to genre. I talk about this in the introduction if you want to go read it and review that there. But I think what's happening here is this structure sort of highlights the significance of chapter 7. You have these divisions according to genre and language, and the one chapter that kind of binds them together is chapter 7. Chapter 7 can't be removed from this Aramaic section. There's actually this chiastic structure. There's this really interesting mirrored type of structure where chapter 2 mirrors what we see in chapter 7, chapter 3, and chapter 6, and chapter 4, and chapter 5. There are these parallels that show that this Aramaic section is a unit that belongs together. But chapter 7, because it's been written in a different language, it kind of holds these two different parts of Daniel together. And what it says is this is a really important chapter that we can't miss. And so we're going to spend a lot of time talking about this chapter because it really gets at the heart of what the book is all about, but also tells us that we really should be reading the whole book. A lot of times we focus on the first six chapters, but if we don't read those last six chapters, then we're missing what those first six chapters are fundamentally about. It's like about. a cop-out kind of, like you're missing the second half of the story even. Yep. Like there's this narrative thing, but it's teaching you, here's the easy to digest narrative human experience yeah. part. And then here's the deeper part that is going to take and show and indicate your spiritual and your maturity with how you read this book. It may reveal your maturity, but also I guess what I would say is it reveals what those stories are really about. I think we have an idea of what the story of Daniel and the lion's den is about. You read Daniel 7, this apocalyptic vision, they actually fold over and tell the same story just in different ways. One is a narrative, one is a vision, but they're saying the same thing about someone who's descended into a pit, who suffers at the hands of beasts, but is raised up to victory, to power, to a position of prominence within the kingdom of God. And so we're going to talk about that when we get there, but the point is you're going to miss what Daniel 6 is about if you don't read Daniel 7 and the chapters that follow. That's a good tease. That it is really a... <laughs> puts us in our place, Brendan. We kind of have to stick with you, I guess. Well, I'll just stick with Daniel. All right, we'll stick with Daniel. But I mean, you've got a lot of this written out in the introduction in the book. We expanded that part a little bit for the journey through Daniel, just because there is a lot of context that we want to yep. name and go into this book with, because there's a lot of preconceived notions about what Daniel is about. And even when people talk about the end times, mm -hmm. as they will, you know, I think a lot of people are like, oh, great, we're reading Daniel. We're in the tribulation or the end times yeah. or something. It's a perfect book. And I think that we're going to work to reclaim and refocus and reframe what that really means and what Daniel is actually about. I mean, to go along with that, we've understood the structure of how it's being told. Yeah. What are the themes of Daniel? This book of Daniel, what is it saying to us from the big picture? There are four themes I basically notice we talk about in the intro again. One is this idea of the power of God, this idea that God is the ultimate source of power. He can give it to others and he can take it away. And we see that from the very opening verses. We're going to talk about this in our opening podcast for day one, this idea that God gives power to people sometimes, but God can take it away because he's the one who ultimately holds it. The second theme we see in the book is this idea of allegiance to God. Throughout the book of Daniel, we read about empires that rise and fall, that use their power oftentimes to hurt others. And the challenge challenge for faithful, humble followers of God is to stay loyal to him. Oftentimes, it's going to be easy to give into the ways of evil kingdoms and empires in this world that use their power to hurt others because we don't want to get hurt in the midst. We want to prosper. But what the book of Daniel reveals is actually, if you're faithful, if you're loyal to God, if you give your allegiance to God and not to the political parties of the day, to the countries of the day, to the workplaces, the churches of the day that sometimes misuse their authority, it's a reminder that God is going to see that and he's going to raise 
raise you up and allow you to prosper in the right time. The third theme that I see in the book, perspective of God, just another way to talk about what an apocalypse is. An apocalypse is an unveiling. And it's very clear that we live in a time where people are asking a lot of questions about what's going on in the world. And it's very clear we need wisdom from God. We have a lot of information given to us, but we don't always know how to navigate. Well, we don't know what truth is, right? Yeah, it's all fake news, right? And the other piece of this is that we're being bombarded with more and more information every day. Yeah. The media of what's coming, but even culturally, we're having more things that we're navigating because Hmm. it's a cycle, right? The media brings things to light or camera phones bring things to light. And we have to start to reconcile some of these things that we didn't even know about. And now we're seeing for the first time and it's requiring that we complete this cycle, you know, where we see things anew and we have to navigate them and see them in the way that God sees them. And that's the question for us through Daniel too. Obviously, I get the most excited about this theme because I love shaking up, you know, what is normal, what is Mm. considered acceptable and norms. And so for me, I'm like, yeah, let's take some blindfolds off. Let's (laughs) take the blindfolds off. Otherwise, all of your senses are completely dampened a little bit. Absolutely. I mean, that's it's hard to decide what's the fundamental theme of the book, but that's so critical to what it's all about. Throughout the whole book, it's God trying to help us see, help readers see what the world is really like. And so if we're paying attention, if we read it slowly and sensitively and are looking for what God is showing us in these chapters, we're going to have our eyes opened. And the fourth and final theme I see in the book is hope because of God. Hope for people who are hurting. We talked about the context of the book, this idea that no matter when it was written, it was definitely written for people who were suffering, people who were hurting, people who were living under the oppression of foreign tyrant kings. And the encouragement, the hope that those readers have and people who are suffering like that in today's world is that God has power. It's that first theme, this idea that God is ultimately in control. And because God is ultimately in control, He sees those people who are humble. He sees those people who are faithful and loyal to him. And at the right time, at the end time, we talk about end times. You see that word end in the book of Daniel. It's not necessarily always about what's going to happen at the end. It's God's times. When God decides, he's going to intervene and bring those empires to the ground and raise up those who are faithful and loyal to him. So the challenge for us in the midst of it is to give God our allegiance, to trust that he is in control, to trust that he's going to do the right thing at the right time. And because of all this, again, we can have hope. I mean, that's all really fancy and nice. It sounds really tied up in a bow really well for us at the end there. How is it actually relevant to us? Like in the modern times, we are navigating a lot in our culture and our society. I haven't been to work in a normal routine for like my normal routine that was happening in February Mm -hmm. since February. Like (laughs) there's not a week that's looked the same as what it did in February. How is this relevant to me? in going forward. It's relevant to you in a few different ways. I think there's a challenge for us to be like Daniel, because Daniel's someone who, in the midst of it all, he experiences the worst of it. Again, we talk about how chapters 7 through 12 are these visions. Daniel's the one who receives those visions, but in the first six chapters, he's someone who experiences kind of what's going on in those visions. He's carried into exile. He lives under oppressive kings. He's thrown in the lion's den. His buddies are thrown in the fiery furnace. They experience the worst of it, yet they stay loyal. They stay faithful. They stay humble. They give God God, their allegiance, and at the right time, at the end of every single one of those stories, God raises them up. And so I think for us, if we want to be like Daniel, then we need to live as Daniel did. We need to have true allegiance to God, which doesn't just look like posting, you know, whatever statement we want on Facebook every now and then, but it's praying to him consistently. It's having this life where every day I say to God, yes, to whatever he asks of me. It's living like Daniel did. But it's also recognizing that we might be like other characters in the book. Sometimes we want to identify with Daniel, but the truth is, in a lot of ways, where we live socioeconomically, we're a lot more like Nebuchadnezzar. And so the question is, are we willing to re 
read Daniel from that perspective, to see this not just as a promise of what God can do in our lives, but also perhaps as a prophetic critique, as a message God wants to reveal to us about how we are supposed to live when we have power. Because too often in our world, people abuse their power. They find themselves in a position of power and see themselves as Daniels, who God is behind. And truth is, maybe some of us are more like Nebuchadnezzar. And so when we read the book of Daniel, we need to ask God, is there any way that I'm abusing my power, that I'm misusing the authority you've given to me? Or even like, what is the power that I have? Yeah. That's the first step is like identifying, do I have power? Yeah. And if so, how have I left either a trail of destruction or mm. a trail of hope? Absolutely. That's what we're trying to reconcile with. And just to name it, as we're going through this study, this is going to be one of the most tense political climates that we've ever done a journey series through. Yeah. And part of this book, there's going to be what sounds like an implication of partisan perspective. And just to name it, there is not. And just to name it, we cannot paint everybody or anybody with a broad brush. Yeah, We're going to hear some stories from people. And that's one of the themes that came up a lot is every single person is an individual. Every person has a different perspective on life. And our goal here is to look at the Bible in context of its historical situation and apply it to our lives in a new way and try to navigate the traditions that the church has had in interpreting this, but also, like you said, have a healthy critique of the way things have gone, the misuse of power, and how we can change going forward. Absolutely. If we aren't reading it that way, then we're not reading the book of Daniel as it's intended for us in our modern context. And if there's any partisanship, like you said, Tyler, it's partisanship to the king, to the true king, to allegiance to God. And so if we're really going to be loyal to God, we have to look at the world the way God does and try to follow him in all his ways. It's going to be fun. Join us on the journey through Daniel. We kick off the first day of reading, October 26th. Talk to you then. See you then.